are moving on into week two of our series, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, a study looking at the Holy Spirit and when he comes and uh, who he is and how we interact with him. You know, there's been three times in human history where God has tried to come close to humanity and come right up beside us. And I would say there's been mixed results when God has come close to men and women. See, first we know the Garden of Eden. If you know the Bible, the very first book, it's God creating, and then he's coming and he's, he creates Adam and Eve. In chapter 2, we hear the story of what was happening there. And Adam and Eve, in their first encounter close with God, they decided that God was a little bit too demanding, and it sounds like they weren't totally into the whole being naked thing. So they ate an apple that they weren't supposed to eat, and they made some fig leaf underwear, and that ended phase one of God coming close to humans and that, that kind of interaction. Now, number two, we, we see God coming down. His, his people had created this nation, and then they were in Egypt, and then he delivered them from Egypt, and he wanted to come close to them again. So he said, I'm going to come close in a pillar of clouds and a pillar of fire. Maybe, maybe I was too close before that. They, people didn't really like that. So um, he said, I'm going to be not quite as close. Everybody's keeping their clothes on. But the people got distracted with shiny gold and they made a different God that looked more like a cow. So I would call that strike two of God trying to come close to people. And so he said, maybe, maybe they're just freaked out by me, God. So I'm going to send my son. So then he sends Jesus. And it was going really well right up until the time they killed him. And then that kind of ended that interaction between God and man. And so then maybe God's thinking, you know, maybe this is just not a great thing having human beings connecting with me. But he, thankfully, he decided one more time, and hence he sends the Holy Spirit. And that's really the Bible in a nutshell, and we can go home now. <laughs> no. All joking aside, in week two of our Close Encounters, we're answering the question, who is the Holy Spirit? And last week, we saw the Holy Spirit is not a he, or is a he, it's not an it. He's a person. He's fully God. He has intellect. He has will. He has feelings. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He's ever-present. He's someone that we worship and someone that has been there at every step of our lives as we've encountered faith. And this week, what we want to do is go deeper and look specifically at what is the role of the Holy Spirit. And actually, we'll see that his role is, encapsul- is totally encapsulated in Portico's mission. Does anybody know the mission statement of the church? Oh, some people do. Yeah, I heard it. What was it? Helping? Helping people find their way back to God. That is the mission of the church. That is why Portico exists. We want to help people find their way back to God. And the role of the Holy Spirit always has been and continues to be to reveal God to humanity. And this morning what we want to do is walk through recorded history in the Bible and see different phases of this. And in each case, we will see that the Holy Spirit's whole purpose is just to draw people and draw their attention to who God is. Now, we're in a Pentecostal church this morning, if you didn't know that, and we often have a different focus on how a person reacts when the Holy Spirit comes into their life, or when, or when he or she encounters the Holy Spirit. And we talk about something called being baptized in the Spirit and, and speaking in other tongues. And the problem is that that's the complete wrong focus. It's not about what happens in us. It's about what's happening with him. The whole reason the Holy Spirit's there is for us to encounter God, not for us to encounter something within ourselves. And we're going to go to the key text, and we're going to find the disciples, and they're locked in a room, and they're hiding for their lives after Jesus had been killed, and they were, they were full of fear, and they, they really had a whole bunch of feelings that were opposite in nature to the Holy Spirit. 
The one key thing to understand is if you know, if, if you know church and you know the Bible, you'll know, we need to know that the disciples lived in the Old Testament era. Now, I know their story is in the New Testament. They're in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they wrote some of the, of the latter parts of the Bible. But they lived under the Old Testament system of church. When Jesus came, it was still all this older. The new hadn't come yet. And their journey and Christ's life, it transitions the church into this new age. But Jesus had just been killed, and now the tomb was empty. He had risen back from the dead, and he's ready to reappear to them. So we're going to go to the book of John, chapter 20. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you want to borrow a copy of the Bible, slip up your hand just real quick, and one of our ushers will make sure you get a, t- you get a copy of the Bible to borrow. And you can just leave it on your seat, and we'll pick it up afterwards. Uh, if you want to follow along on your U version, you can just search Milton or you can search Portico and you'll have the notes there. Apparently there were some Wi-Fi issues, so I'm not sure if the Wi-Fi is back up and working, but if it is, follow along. If not, open the Bible. John 20, 19 through 22, we're going to see in our key text a story about the disciples. Here's what it says. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, because they're freaked out, because he was dead and he just came back to life. So again, he says, Peace. And as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now we need to know this, that this was prior to the book of Acts, prior to the disciples receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but quite clearly it says they received the Holy Spirit, right? So this experience shows us two things. First thing it shows us that the Spirit comes to us the moment that we believe. If, if you have confessed Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you've received the Holy Spirit. That's what happens at that moment of conversion. That's what's happening right there. They saw Jesus come back from the dead, and they, and they, they were a little scared. So he said, peace, it's okay. If you believe, it's me. And then he gave them the Holy Spirit. We have that right at the moment of salvation. And we're going to get into this next week, but then Jesus gives them another instruction to experience even more of the Holy Spirit. And that's when we're going to look at Holy Spirit baptism. You want to be here next week, next next Sunday morning, 1010, and then in Mississauga next Sunday night at six o'clock, we're going to have a prayer service just for people to experience what they're talking about. But we're going to go one step at a time. And today we're going to walk through the Bible and see that again, it has always been the role and continues to be the role of the Holy Spirit to bring people into faith with God. And we see three very distinct phases of this happening. So you can pull out a pen and take notes, or you can fill it in on your iPad or your, or, or your phone. The first one is, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit encounters were selective and specific. The Old Testament, they were selective and specific. Have you ever read a story out of the Old Testament and wondered, just how dumb were these people? Has, has anyone ever read that and thought, these people are just out to lunch? There were, there were, if, you, if you think about the miracles that happened in Egypt, if you know the Bible, there were just, Moses came in and totally did all kinds of miracles to let them get out of slavery in Egypt. The, he's, he's providing for them as the, God's providing for them. He pulled back the waters of the Red Sea. And then all of a sudden, the people are in complete disobedience and say, I don't even believe God exists. And you think, how dumb can you be? Who just did all these things for you to get you out of slavery? 
then there's all these, there's all kinds of stories that, that we see. There's a, there's this neat little story in, in the book of Judges 19, and it's, it's so graphic in its, in its descriptions of there's, there's sexuality and rape and dismemberment. I used to use it when I was speaking to teenagers when they suggested the Bible was out of date, and I would just share that story just to freak them out and kind of grab their attention back. But you think, how could people that saw God work in and among them not actually believe that God was real? How dumb were these people? They didn't have the Holy Spirit. They were doing all of this without the presence of God regularly encountering them in their day-to-day life. And they didn't even have it through other people's lives. They weren't encountering it that way. See, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came, here's the key word, upon specific people for specific times for specific purposes. There was one person or one group of people for whom God would speak through and reveal his presence to for that whole particular period. Everybody else was just kind of following that one person. They didn't, they didn't have the spirit. Moses, you know Moses? He was one of the prophets. That's your first fill in the blank. That, that God rose up prophets. Moses, in the first part of his life, he, he killed an Egyptian. He ran away and hid. He was a desert farmer nomad for 80 years of his life. He's not some great prophet for the first 80 years of his life. And then he encounters God in a burning bush and becomes God's spokesperson and God's spirit is put upon him. He's a selected person for a selected purpose, for a selected time. And until that time, he was just a Jewish guy who was honoring God but living life under his own power. And post this experience, we'll see he's performing miracles. He performs miracles with the environment where he's pulling back the waters of the Red Sea and, and there's, there's wonders in the sky. We see him doing miracles in physical health and there's people who he, when, when he prays, people have sicknesses and people, and there's, um, there's even uh, miracles within the animal and there's the animal realm, there's locusts and there's all these plagues and, and livestock die. Moses could perform absolutely unbelievable miracles after he encounters God's presence. This was a man who was afraid to speak to others, and he was debating in front of the leader of the known world, Pharaoh, at that time. And after the Israelites had, we, I had mentioned this earlier, after the Israelites had left Egypt, they were complaining about their food situation. Mainly, they had no food, which is good enough reason to complain. And Moses, Moses was stressed out because Moses is the only one with God's spirit. He's the one that knew God personally. But the people around him were so quick to lose faith because they didn't have the Holy Spirit and his presence in their life. They were following this crazy old farmer who seemed to be able to do miracles, but now when they're out in the middle of the desert, he had ran out of magic. And Moses said, God, what am I going to do with these people? These are, these are your people, and they've totally fallen away from their faith. And Moses prays for some support. Really what he's praying for is more presence of the Spirit. And we see how God responds in Numbers 11 and 17. The verse will be on the screen. I will come down and speak with you there, And get this, I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And he was raising up another group of prophets and they will share the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. And all of the prophets through the whole Old Testament, if you go through the Bible, they responded this way. They were God's voice so the people could closely experience God's presence. It happened again when they established their own nation and they rose up kings. That's your second fill in the blank. 1 Samuel 16 and 13. So Samuel, who was the current prophet, he took a horn of oil and anointed him. This is David. 
in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully, here's that word, upon David. So God's spirit was on David, on the prophets, on the kings. And King, King David's greatest description in the Bible was that he was called a man after God's own heart, who led the nation back into a time of obedience and worship. And then they had their prophets, they had the kings, they even had judges who would function in the same way. And the last fill in the blank there is selected individuals. And you can see in the scripture, Exodus 31, 2 to 5, that, that God selected people and he put his spirit upon them. And it's not that with the stories and the groups of people we see in the Old Testament, it's not that they were dumb. <laughs> it's that they were more separate from the spirit than we ever were. We don't experience the same reality that they experienced. See, today, as a believer, we believe that God's Spirit is resident within me because I believe in Christ. And He speaks to us, and He's revealed to us and through us. And for 4,000 years of history, what we see is that the Holy Spirit only came upon certain people for a certain time. And God knew that things had to change because his purpose was not to draw certain people in the right relationship. He wanted everybody to come in the right relationship. Have you ever read the prophets? And really, the prophets aren't really one of the most popular books of the Bible. But they're, they're full of people who were filled with God's spirit talking about judgment. And it's Israel's history is this sad story of a nation who hears from God and comes close to God and then turns away from God. And that's what we see all throughout the prophets. And we get to the end, the final prophet that's recorded chronologically in the Bible. And then we have a 400-year gap that's called the silent era, where there was no prophet and no messages from God. And this is the precursor to God bringing change of how people would experience the Holy Spirit. And it begins to change from this selective infilling that's upon to inclusive. And that's your second major point there, is that in the Gospels, the Holy Spirit encounters were demonstrated and experienced through Christ. Now, Jesus was born into a common family at a time when God wasn't present in the world. And his parents and his aunt, so Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, his aunt and his uncle, Elizabeth and Zachariah, who gave birth to John the Baptist, they were the only ones on earth at that time who had ever heard God's voice. Think about this. God hadn't spoken through a prophet for 400 years. (laughs) No presence of the Spirit was in the world at that time. The only four individuals who had heard God's voice were Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth. And then Jesus starts to live his life. He's presented in the temple. He grows up as a little kid. And then the first day that he does anything public, he goes to the synagogue and hears this, which is the public meeting place. So it was like the church. Jesus goes to the church and he reads out to the people there what would have been a very familiar passage of the Bible. And it was about a prophecy about God coming close to draw people. And he said, I'm not just going to put my spirit upon anyone. There's going to be a time coming when it's not going to be as you've always experienced for 4,000 years. And it's not going to be the way that you have experienced nothing for 400 years. It's going to be a new time. And here's what Jesus reads in the synagogue, Luke 4, 18 to 20. Listen to these words in, with knowing that context. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, 
to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to them saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Is it okay to get fired up about old Bible stories? This, this should be sending chills through, throughout you because think about that, 400 years, God doesn't speak to anyone. And then Jesus comes and he says, it's fulfilled today, I'm speaking to people. I'm not just a prophet anymore that I'm gonna put my spirit upon, that God will put his spirit upon. I am the prophet, the one you have been waiting for that will change absolutely everything. And they didn't understand it in full that day that Jesus was the son, was God's son. Because they were expecting God to come. They knew that God would come at some point. They expected a big, loud, recognizable entrance for him. And Jesus comes quite humbly. But he was functioning the same way God's voice had functioned and always had and always did. Just to draw people to him. He said, I'm going to proclaim freedom. I'm going to proclaim great news for the poor. I'm going to draw people back to God. And it made people uneasy because they were expecting something different. They were expecting this big show and, God, and Jesus said, no, no, I'm just coming to proclaim God's love for you and it's going to be in a very humble and gentle way. And it's definitely a possibility that they were considering that Jesus had some kind of greater power. They would, they would have seen that because Jesus brought people back to life. He did that water into wine, that party trick that, you know, when he went through his first one. He was, he was doing things that other people weren't doing and they understood that he could do miracles, but Jesus knew that his main purpose was not to do miracles. His main purpose, because the Holy Spirit was in him, was to draw people back to God. And he has this little demonstration where I think Jesus gets a little sassy if that's not a sin, because he didn't sin. But, but he has this, this wonderful little, little uh, going on between him and some of the leaders because they were convinced that he was a prophet, but they, they figured he was a prophet like the Old Testament was, that God's spirit was upon him, not in him the way that he's talking about. And Jesus was saying, no, this is, this is different because I'm God's son. I am God. The spirit of God is in me and I'm ready to take away the penalty for sin. And they just couldn't believe this. So we want to pick up the story in Mark 2, 8 to 12, and the words will be on the screen. But catch this. See, when we know this context, these stories mean so much more. Mark 2, 8 to 12. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, can't walk, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. That's kind of Jesus' mic drop, walk off the stage moment. He said, I'm telling you, I could do miracles all the time like this. That is a difficult thing to do. There's no way that you could do this. But that's not my purpose. My purpose is to draw people in the right relationship with God. We go to Toronto Island a couple times a summer. I love going to Toronto. Anybody, anybody Toronto Island fan? Yeah, a few people you like going to the island. I love, I love going there when we go and we pet the animals and we bike along the trail and we go and we swim in that water every once in a while because hope just loves the water and I, we just pray that no horrible diseases come to her and then we just, we just believe that. And then 
And then we go and we get an ice cream. We take the ferry. We just love it. It's a great day. But inevitably, we will come past the part of the path that leads to that horrible, awful place called Centerville in the middle of that island. <laughs> and if you know Centerville, we've been to Centerville lots of times. And the rides were born in the 1970s. But thankfully, the rides have been brought up to date with their overpriced uh, pricing of the 2000s now. The rides aren't updated, but the pricing has been well updated. So for the first few years, we would go and Hope would debate with us if she could go on the rides and how many we could go on. So we'd go on the little merry-go-round. You've been on that one, the one that makes you sick, and the, the bumblebees. That go, yeah, you've been on the, some of those, right? But because my focus is a little less strong than Jesus' focus was, I would give in and I would buy the tickets and it would be $35 for that stinking bracelet and we would wait for hours in line for rides that are just not great rides that are just going to make us feel horrible. And I was was encountered with two thoughts. I thought, if I wanted to pay $40 for rides, I would be at Wonderland right now where they have wonderful rides and where there's all kinds of great things going on. But we didn't go to Wonderland today. We went to, Center, we went to Toronto Island today. We didn't come here on this beautiful day, the most picturesque part of Toronto probably, where you can, see the, you can see the city landscape, you can look out across the lake, the most beautiful part. It's not that the rides are bad, in her opinion. <laughs> it's that that's not our purpose. And if we, were going to, if we wanted to ride rides, we'd go to Wonderland. We didn't go to, to Toronto Island to ride rides. We went to enjoy something else. Jesus has this laser focus, and he goes, I could do miracles. Everybody could. Everybody who has a sickness, I could heal that. Everybody who died, we could bring them back to life. That's going to be another time. I'm promising you heaven will come when everybody who is sick won't have that sickness, where everybody who has died will come back to life. That's not my purpose today, Jesus says. He says, my purpose is to forgive sins and bring you in the right relationship with God. And that's the whole reason why he's there. All of Christ's work, all of his teaching, was to have people encounter the presence of God. And Jesus is actually our model for a life that's live-reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus limited his holy nature. He comes to earth and he limits his holy nature and relies just on the Spirit of God, who is being both on him and working through him in him. And all throughout his teaching, he tips his hand to what the eventual outcome will be. And we can can see this, where he's saying, in John 4, he reminds us that if God is spirit, we're going to need to become spirit. We're going to need to have spirit, because his spirit, his people are going to worship him in spirit. And and he's promising, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I will do this. He tips his hand. But eventually, he says, Jesus allows himself to be killed and come back to life. And he makes this promise that the very same spirit that lived in him could live in us. And this is where it all changes. Old Testament, it's very specific. It's only selective. And people go way off the rails. And then we come to Jesus and we see this transitional phase. And then we get to the last one, that after the resurrection, here's your third one. After the resurrection, Holy Spirit encounters are inclusive and they're personal. John 7, 38 and 39. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. And by this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Glorified meaning brought back up to heaven. And this is really where we started this morning. John 20 and 22. We we go back and, and... 
the disciples encounter the Spirit after the resurrection of Jesus because he breathes on them. I've always, I've always laughed at that, at that text because I thought, what would that have been like? Like, was Jesus up really close going, hi guys, <laughs> how are you? And, and breathing, that's just my mind working. I don't know how it worked, but in some way, I think it's probably not quite that way. I don't think Jesus got creepy like that. I think, I think it's more that as he was there, the Spirit was given to them. But really, it's a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy in Ezekiel 36 and 26. He says, I will give you a new spirit, a new heart, and put a new spirit in you. That's what's happening when we see this in our key text this morning. And the work of the Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible, even up to today, has one purpose, and it's to draw people into right relationship with God. And this is, like I said, this is only week two of our series. You don't want to miss next week. We're going to get real, uh, real practical next week of how people encounter the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We want to teach about what it is and then do it at night and, and have people encounter that baptism. We've been praying about this series and working up to it for a number of months, and we're really excited about the next couple of weeks. But we, and we see very clearly that Jesus gave them the Holy Spirit in John 20 and 22. He breathed on them. And then he said in Acts 1, 8, wait because I'm going to send you the Spirit, which doesn't even make sense to us. He, if he's already given us the Spirit, why would he say, wait for the Spirit? And that's what we're going to walk through next week. What is the Pentecostal experience? But in fact, the first meeting with the Holy Spirit is just the beginning. And then we become part of God's redemptive plan and purpose in the world. We're given the Spirit so that we could go and reveal his Spirit to other people. And the day of Pentecost for the, the disciples or modern day Pentecostal experiences like churches have experienced all over the world is one of the most awesome and amazing experiences that you or I could ever have. We're overfilled with God upon us and in us. It regenerates life from within. It empowers us for certain aspects of ministry. It's an unbelievable experience. But it's not the most significant encounter you and I have with the Holy Spirit. Even as amazing as it is. It's not the number one reason why the Holy Spirit came. It's kind of like a ride at Centerville on Toronto Island. (laughs) It's good. It's not the purpose. The most significant experience you or I ever have with the Holy Spirit is that he brings us into relationship with God. And before we get to week three, we have to stop here at week two and say, some, some of us in the room have some business to do with the Holy Spirit. Because we fully recognize that there are people, and you come to church quite regularly, and you believe in God, you believe God's real, you want to do the right thing. But this morning, you're living an Old Testament kind of faith. Think about the Old Testament, where the Holy Spirit came upon certain people for certain purposes. And I fully believe, as we stand up, those who are standing up, that those who speak, those who teach, those who lead, They've had this experience with God. They've they've been filled with the Spirit. Jesus has breathed upon them, whatever that means, however you want to work that out. So the Spirit's in them. And you come to church and you regularly experience God's presence because you look for it at a church or you look for it in a leader or you look for it in somebody else and that's how you experience God's presence. And that works. It does. It was 4,000 years. That's how Israel was created. God sent his Spirit to people and then those people revealed it to others. But you have the ability to encounter God's Spirit this morning. You do. You carry God's Spirit with you if you confess faith in Christ. 
We were never meant to stay in a model where we, you have to come to a building or you have to come to a person to experience closeness with the Holy Spirit. The whole purpose of Jesus coming and then giving the Spirit was so that you can wake up every morning and say, God, thank you for being with me today. God, thank you for giving me new life today. God, thank you for giving me the ability to reveal peace and love to a world that desperately needs it. Listen, I, I've been praying for, I hope you've been praying for our world this weekend. You've been praying for, for what's happening in Paris and in Lebanon. And I don't know what the right answer is of what we're going to do politically, but I do know that we need to go and pray. And I do know that every believer who comes anywhere near any of those situations brings Christ's presence there and brings peace there and brings freedom there. That's what we believe you can experience every day. We don't want an Old Testament faith. So today's your day. Today's all of our day. We're going to transition from a mindset that goes, God is in a church, God is in a person. No, we're going to say today, God is in me. And nobody here, trust me, nobody here wants to breathe on you. (laughs) So you don't have to get weirded out. But nobody who leads this church wants you to leave without a full encounter with God in the form of the Holy Spirit either. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And from creation to crucifixion to the church of today, God the Spirit. Thank you that we have God the Father. Thank you we have God the Son. Thank you that we worship you, Holy Spirit. He has had one sole mission, one laser focus, and that's to help people with broken lives find their way back to God. And this morning in this room, what I want all of us to consider is are we living a life that reflects that? So whether we've never confessed that before in our lives, whether we've, this is the first time that we've ever considered that God's spirit would come in us, or whether we've known this for 30 years, but we need a refresher this morning to go, whoa, 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 God's spirit is in me. Heather's going to sing this song, and I just want us to do a moment of personal reflection. And it's very simple. All Jesus said is, if you believe that I'm God's son, that that scripture that I read in the synagogue that day, that I'm here to proclaim freedom, proclaim peace, if you believe that, I'm going to send my spirit and put it right inside of you. And her face should never be less real than that, less impactful than that. This is a building, but your, your faith, your life can be filled with the Spirit of God. I want you to consider that this morning as Heather leads us, and we'll come back and close in a moment. Just ask everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads for a moment. In our church, we love taking the moment to pray with you. We're not going to have somebody come. We're not going to have somebody come beside you. We just want to pray for you. <clears throat> And with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, this is a private moment that we're just kind of having a reflection. It would be my privilege to pray for you this morning. If this morning the Holy Spirit really spoke to you and said, this is the kind of closeness that I want to have for you. If you would just quickly slip up your hand and and let me know, and I would love to pray for you this morning. Hands going up all over. Thank you. Thank you. You can slip them down. Thank you. Thank you. I'll wait one more moment. Just with eyes closed. Anyone else? We just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing this morning. God, people's lives here and beyond will be changed for eternity because of what you're doing. 
right now, Lord. We believe, Lord, that your spirit is becoming real to people. You're filling people with your spirit right now. God, thank you that when we say we believe, all the sin, all the wrong that's inside of us, totally forgiven. We thank you for loving us with that kind of simple, pure love, Lord. God, thank you that as we walk out of this place, the same closeness is going to be there. God, God, we know that there are times when we feel closer and times we feel separate, but we're going to hold on to the truth that as of today, Lord, your spirit is with us. And, and God, we, have, we bring peace. We bring joy to others. It's not only for us. It's for everywhere that we go, Lord. And Lord, I pray and I thank you for everyone that you've been speaking to closely this morning. God, what an amazing lesson this is as we really look at what your spirit does. Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for going with us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for offering yourself so freely to us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We ask this all in your name. Amen. Amen.